Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Molinax. Thank you so much. However you're listening to the show on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Google, on iHeart, on Apple, however you're taking us in, it is much appreciated here as the calendar turns to December and we inch ever more closely to uh, the Christmas holiday that I have become infamous for in Grizzlies blogger-dom in Twitter sphere, uh, Mr. Call Me at Christmas. The Memphis Grizzlies will have an identity by Christmas Day. I personally guarantee it. You've heard it here first at Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host again, Joe Mullinax, the site manager for SB Nation's grizzlybearblues.com. Been doing this line of work for way too long. Um, and before we came on, I was talking to my co-host who rejoins us this week, the associate editor over at grizzlybearblues.com, Mr. Parker Fleming, about just how long I'd been doing this and how people are not going to pull one over on me, Parker Fleming. I am a veteran. You know, we have made light of my age and my experience calling me the undertaker of Grizzly Bear Blues, the undertaker of Grizzlies blogging. I have not gone anywhere, Parker Fleming. And people are not going to be able to get one over on me. You could say that you are something or that you don't do something, but I remember all, Parker. I am omnipresent when it comes to Grizzlies Twitter. And that has more to do with me having, you know, no other hobby in my life other than this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to keep the, <laughs> I to, uh, that response. Yeah, I for mean, sure. I could just turn one around on you and make you feel old and. Oh, uh, let you know that you've been a blogger uh since i was in high school so. oh my god i could have taught you that makes me and I'm, I'm 25 so Ugh, uh, i'm 30 yeah but but um to keep the the wrestling analogies good, yeah we i had to uh i had to keep people on their toes i'm like the surprise entrant of the royal rumble of this podcast you are I'm, like, I'm the seth rollins to your undertaker so. Yeah, you are. That's true. That's a good. That's a good comp. That's a good comp. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're back. Uh, we're thank gonna have you, a fun show this week for everybody that uh, can't tell. We have a wonderful guest, one of my favorites. Uh, gonna have two of my favorite people between Parker and him uh, to talk Grizzlies basketball with, and it's all gonna make sense at the end. Just stick with me, folks. I promise. Uh, ways to get in touch with the show: you can follow us on Twitter at GBB Live. You can follow the blog that Parker and I and our guests this evening are fortunate enough to write for at SBN Grizzlies. Again, that's grizzlybearblues.com. You can follow Parker at Paca underscore Flocka, and you can follow me on Twitter if you so choose to make such a poor, poor choice at Joe Mullinax, M-U-L-L-I-N-A-X. Our guest for this episode, again, one of my very favorite people to talk Grizzlies with. I feel like that I used to be, you know, kind of somebody that everybody looked at and said, oh, you know, he's a nice guy. He does a good job. He works so hard. Sean Coleman has taken on that mantle, and I appreciate that immensely because, you know, I kind of like being the, the heel in some ways, and, and Sean is very much the baby face. Folks love the work that Sean does over at the Lockdown Grizzlies podcast. They love what he does on Twitter at StatsSAC. He's one of our great writers over at Grizzly Bear Blues as well, and he's just an all-around good dude. Sean Coleman, welcome to the show. Welcome to the intensity that is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I've had a long three days, Sean. I need you to work with me. How are you, sir? So, well, I'm doing well. And first off, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. So, Joe, if you're the undertaker and uh, Parker is Seth Rollins, I guess I'm Paul Heyman. I'm, I'm the resident Ooh. fat ass. The resident fat ass <laughs> loves to hear himself talk and 5% of the time actually has something rele relevant to say. So, it's a pleasure to be here. Heel turn. 
Heel turn but, from Sean Cole. Yeah, you're you're a baby face. You're not a heel. Like Golly. I was thinking more of like Dusty Rhodes or like yeah. Keith Lee. Hard times. Hard, hard times. Hard times, hard times Sean Coleman. That's before that's before your time, Parker. But <laughs> oh, that's that is, yes. Please tell me you at least know that reference. The what? The the reference that he just made to the hard times promo. I oh, do not. No! Oh, you legitimately one of the most historic yes. of all times. It's hard times. Hard times. Okay, we're going to get that to you when the show's over. All right, uh, Parker has homework. Dusty Rhodes, hard times promo. Sean Coleman, one of the reasons we're friends is that you pulled that out, and I knew exactly what you were putting down as you picked it up. Welcome back to the show. Let's jump right in, gentlemen, before uh, my nervous breakdown commences. We're at a place with this team that everybody thinks that they suck or that they're good from night to night. And it's frustrating for me as somebody that follows them, covers them, Parker and Sean, you and I have talked about this separately on numerous occasions, the the impatience of the fan base. And I do think that it's important to point out, this is not unique to Memphis, right? Like this is something that occurs everywhere. Everybody at this stage of life believes in instant gratification. I need the information now. I need the end result now. I need everything in the palm of my hand as easily as possible right at this moment. But that is not how life works, ladies and gentlemen. And that's certainly not how rebuilds work in the National Basketball Association. Look at the Sacramento Kings, who are continuing their free fall that they've seemingly been on for over a decade. There's little to no hope for them. And I feel bad for the Kings Herald and other great blogs that cover the uh, that cover the Kings, excuse me, because they must look at the Memphis Grizzlies and our definition of a rebuild is being in the postseason mix each of the last two years. The Grizzlies, I believe, are within a game or two. Parker, I know you'll correct me here in a moment. I, you guys have been tweeting about it, and I, I've read it. I just don't remember off the top of my head. They're, they're within a game or so in the loaded or very tightly bunched Western Conference of the four seeds, something along those lines. So they, the Grizzlies are very much a team that is still not a finished product. They are a work in progress, but they are in a position to where they are still competing. And I think that's what continues to muddy the waters, Parker. You, you look at a roster that is one of the youngest in the NBA that depends on players like Jaron Jackson Jr. that has in the rotation in a win against the Toronto Raptors on Tuesday night. Santi Aldama, who Santi. everybody, yep, yeah, Santi Claus is coming to town apparently and getting playing time. And the Grizzlies won the game. Like, this is unbelievable to me that people have such high expectations. I get it, but you got to expand your mind a little bit and understand that they're winning not because they're trying, they're winning because the coaches and players are doing a really good job. The front office continues to not care or at least not actively pursuing ways to make them better in the here and now at the expense of what is to come, Parker Fleming. It's it's funny you bring this up because I was actually talking with uh, a guy over running the Thunder Film Room account, uh, Yosef. He, we were talking just about like preaching patience to a fan base of a rebuilding team because, I mean, Oklahoma City, they're putting on the biggest tank job since the process. Probably a bigger one in the process. In my it opinion. really is impressive. But, I can't wait for uh, SGA to come up with some sort of, you know, random calf injury that's going to hold yeah, him out for him, three months soon. Yeah, him and Giddy, yeah. They're, but it, it's what, like, for me, at least this season with the Grizzlies, my 
definition of a disappointment would be anything below the eight seed because that shows no signs of progress. If you're the eight seed, congratulations. They're better than the past two seasons where they were the ninth seed. And I'd, it's just so wishy-washy, to be honest. I mean, everyone's basing their evaluations of the team game by game. They're doing the same thing with the Tigers right now. I mean, if you're going to do that with the Grizzlies and the Tigers – you're probably not going to make it to the end of the season. You're going to stress yourself out so much. And the Tigers are even, obviously, in college, they're younger. But I think just isn't one of their players – I don't follow the Tigers, they're, so please they're correct too, me. One of their big, players is like 17 years old. Yeah, their two biggest – their two best guys, Jalen Duran and Monty Bates, right. should both be seniors in high school right now. Wait, what are we they're talking 17. about? Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I but I mean – I think my biggest thing too is like we've had two years of evidence of Taylor Jenkins being a good coach and now everybody wants to fire him and they're treating him like he's Mark Ivoroni. I I don't get it. I really don't. But it's just fickleness. I mean, it's tough watching the team get blown out repeatedly. Uh, I mean, they lost to 43 by 43 to a team that's about on the same tier as them with the Minnesota Timberwolves. I would say they're on the same tier. And Obviously, the coaches and players took offense to that. They had a players-only meeting right before the Utah game. And I think aside from the Toronto, they had a breakdown in Toronto last week. And then the game with Atlanta, I kind of had that as a wash. I mean, they got shell-shocked by John Morant going down. And then Atlanta punched them in the mouth, and they just didn't respond. It's, it's It happens. But I really think that they're responding right now a lot better. And I just think that you don't have to wait until Christmas to make an op- like a observation or an evaluation of this team. But I think everyone should just relax because they are currently tied for the fourth seed right now with Dallas Mavericks. They're literally percentage points behind Dallas for the four seed. I know it's just November, but like everyone's treating this team like they're the Oklahoma City Thunder or the New Orleans Pelicans right now. It's kind of ridiculous. Or they're the New Orleans Pelicans. I like that. Thinly veiled shade being thrown uh, by Parker Fleming. And I'm going to take it as shade because I'm going to throw shade later. Uh, Spoiler alert. Uh, It's coming. Um, So, Parker, I I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to lean over to Sean with this, and it's going to help me further make my point. So, Sean, I'm going to pose an initial question to you that you just simply answer, and then I'm going to make an a more elaborate point that you can respond to. Are you ready, Sean Coleman? Go. Okay, so Sean Coleman, Parker talked about how the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves are on roughly the same plane, all right? I'm going to ask you to name the three best players, in your opinion, on the Minnesota Timberwolves. Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards. Who are the three best players on the Memphis Grizzlies? John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Dylan Brooks, now. If you are basing it off of those three players, who has the better team? The Memphis Grizzlies. Ooh, see, oh, I don't know that I spicy. agree with that. I don't know if I agree with that, and that's kind of my point. I like that you're 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 spicing up GBB Live, Sean, because that's part of my point. I don't know if we're going to be honest with each other. I would say John Morant might be the best of all six of those players. That's probably a fair argument to make. But I'm probably taking at least Edwards and Cat in front of Jaron and maybe even D'Lo, depending on the night. And I think that, and I know we've talked about Dylan being the number two player, similar concept. And, and I guess that's more my point, Sean, is we continue to try to put 
expectations on this team that aren't fair because they are not actively going out to seek players like D'Lo. They are not purposely trying to make a trade for a veteran piece like Patrick Beverly. In fact, Patrick Beverly was a Memphis Grizzly. Grit and grind, he tweeted out. And then Memphis moved on from him to bring in Jarrett Culver. And you can say that's good, that's bad, whatever. The fact remains that they are not actively pursuing the type of level of play that teams like the Minnesota Timberwolves are. And that's okay, Sean, and I know that you agree with that mindset, but I I just feel like if we go up and down the Western Conference and we're being truthful about it, this roster that is continuing to be in flux, the reason I say call me a Christmas isn't because you're not allowed to critique the team for playing poorly. The reason I say call me a Christmas is because three weeks from now, if we all recorded this show again together, we might be having a different conversation about whether or not this team needs to start thinking about trading Tyus Jones and Kyle Anderson and being sellers if the roster falls off. That's what I mean by call me a Christmas. I don't know if they're good yet or not. I need a larger sense of that so that I can know, okay, maybe we make a purchase here. We, we make a smart trade to bring in a veteran guy. They can play on the wing, give us some bench scoring for the postseason run. Or we say blow it to hell and let's see if we can pursue some more assets going into what's almost certainly going to be a pretty big summer for the team. Well, and here's the reason why I say Memphis over Minnesota is because the best player out of those six, in my opinion, is John Morant. But I'll pose this question to you, you know, here in a second, you know, or whenever you want to answer, who are the best two defenders out of those six that you look at? In my opinion, Uh, in my opinion, it's Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson Jr. And we've seen that. I think that's fair. Yeah. The, the point that I'm making is, is that I think it's a, per, a perspective thing. If you look at this season so far, sure, the blowout losses are disappointing. But let's also consider, I said before the season, the three things that matter to me more than wins and losses. Can Jaw take the next step? Can Jaron take the next step? Can Coach Jenkins show that he is truly the coach that will be here for us past the rebuild to when we want to be a sustainable winner? Two of those three things, in my opinion, have been answered. I know that we have been blown out in losses. I think that us being 11 and 10 it, being 11-10 is a great thing. The way we've gotten there has been frustrating at times. But look at it from an individual perspective. Jaw's taken the step up to where he's playing like an all-star. Jaron, over the past 10 days, has been the dynamic, two-way, impactful player that we've needed him to be when he's been on the court. Dylan's presence is certainly making a difference because of how the defense has improved with him on the court versus, versus when he was out when he was injured. And Desmond Bain, who we all agreed his improvement is the most critical to the Grizzlies' future being as bright as possible, has become one of the best or has improved offensively among the best in the NBA when you look at where he was to where he is now. In terms of individual improvement, it's hard to deny there have been good results so far. And for that reason, I'm actually pleased with how this season has gone. Yeah, yeah. Can I I jump in real quick and say that I I do think this team's good because obviously those three guys that you mentioned, but also just – I would say their first eight, I, when it comes down to it, your first eight is what your playoff rotation is going to be. So John Morant, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson, Stephen Adams, D'Anthony Melton, Brandon Clark, Tyus Jones. Like that, I, I said nine, but I realized just going down the list, it's we have a very strong nine. And when it comes down to playoff rotations, they're going to go nine because Tyus Jones is the only player that can really run the offense when John Moran's out on the floor in a healthy situation. And I, I think 
I think they'll be fine. I think they're going to go back. I mean, we have two years of evidence of them being a good defense. Like, they're going to progress to the mean a little bit. I think there is a picked-up sense of urgency on that end of the floor um, as John Morant has gone down because, as Jaron Jackson said last night, they have to find different ways to win, and I can find defenses being that way. Uh, surely the Grizzlies will end up being better with guys like Kyle Anderson on the floor who hasn't been a good plus-minus guy. Um, who knows with Steven Adams? I mean, he's shooting under 50%. I mean, surely, I mean, surely he's going to shoot above 50%, right? De'Anthony Melton below 40%. I, I think they'll be fine. I mean, I think I saw something where they also have, for the remainder of the season, the 26th easiest schedule. Like, I think we just kind of need to relax on this team because it's a good team. We have evidence of this team being good, evidence of Taylor Jenkins being a good coach. And that, that that's why like I would take them over like Minnesota or hell, even even Dallas right now, because I like their depth and I think they're gonna just find a groove at some point. Especially with Jan Jackson Jr.'s play. I think that's the biggest key in all of it. And Desmond Bain, who Joe, in my report card, I combined three of your five loves. Basketball, football, and Desmond Bain, and said that he has now evolved into like a crossover of Devin Booker and Aaron Darnold. So, I do I, love Desmond Bain. A lot. I know yes. you do. I love so. Desmond Bain, and and that's a good segue, Parker. Well done. It's like you do this a time or twelve every Just, once in a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. So before we, I, I want to make sure follow stats at at excuse me follow at stats sac on Twitter. If you don't already do so, Sean Coleman, our guest. Here on Grizzly Bear Blues Live, my co-host Parker Fleming is back with me at Paca underscore Flocka. I'm at Joe Mullinax on Twitter. We're having a good chat here. And Parker brought up Desmond Bain. And I love Desmond Bain. I have loved Desmond Bain from the start. Anybody except for Bryce Hayes. I'll I'll allow Bryce Hayes because I believe he wrote the draft profile on Desmond Mm -hmm. Bain. Um, Outside of Bryce, no one else is allowed to claim him. He is mine. And I think that the, the beautiful thing about Desmond Bain Parker for me is he looks the part of the quintessential role player on a championship team. I think that he is an excellent shooter. Obviously I think that he has grown as a facilitator. Him playing point guard at summer league was one of the best things that could have happened. And I think that he is doing enough defensively, especially now that Dylan Brooks is back and things have kind of lined up better in terms of who guys have to be defending. I think that you look at what he is capable of doing and he is, again, we're talking about who's going to be on the next great Grizzlies team. I recently wrote that obviously John Jaron are in a tier amongst themselves uh, in terms of trade value. I think in the next tier down Desmond Bain is there now. I think he's locked in his spot. I'm a big fan of his mm-hmm. and he's had an opportunity to learn and grow and develop and show what he can do this season, Parker. Desmond Payne's been awesome, dude. Like, hey, I think we're seeing this across the league, really, where we're seeing the benefit of this draft class of 2020 getting a legitimate offseason. I mean, I think people ignore they got drafted in November and they started preseason and training camp two weeks later and in regular season play a month after getting drafted. They didn't get this entire three or four months of an offseason where they were given basically – from the coaching staff, hey, this is what you're working on, this is what you're working on. 
or even a summer league or anything. And I mean, we're seeing it with Bain, Tyrese Maxey, Cole Anthony, Devin Fassell, to name a few. But that that added development, especially with Desmond Bain getting to play point guard in summer league, that's paid huge dividends because now he looks so much more comfortable off the ball, not just pulling up, but creating, getting to the rim, finishing in the paint. I He's just, he's been awesome. And I think a really good, I know people like to use like comps and stuff, but like his, on draft night, he said something about wanting to model his game after Joe Harris and Eric Gordon. And I think right now we're seeing more of that Eric Gordon right now, like that early Houston, um, that pre-injury New Orleans run Eric Gordon. And I think just the way that he's playing and the confidence he's playing with, he he's a guy where you don't have to sell really sell somebody on Destin Bain being a potential starter on a championship Grizzlies team because I think it's pretty clear as day that he could be that guy right now. Sean Coleman, I know that you share my affinity for Desmond Bain. You don't love him quite as much as me, but you're you're in the same stratosphere. I'm curious as you watch him play, you know, I, I love listening to your questions on the media call, Sean. You're always very informed. You're you're very lined up with what you want to say. And you, you talk a lot about the defensive side of the court, which I think is tremendously important, obviously, and especially considering the fact that this team is 500, a lot of the reason for the struggles has been their lack of defense. As you watch Desmond Bain perform on that end, what stands out to you, if anything, as a way that he has kind of improved? Because we talk about his offense a lot, but if he is going to be a starter on the next championship contender for the Grizzlies, he's got to be able to defend a little bit, especially if his backcourt mate, John Morant, is not the strongest defender on the planet. So what have you seen from Bain, especially these last few games maybe, that gives you hope that he can continue to be not just the offensive weapon that he's been, but also be at the very least a net neutral defender? His intelligence lining up with his instincts because Desmond Bain is a very, very intelligent player. We talk about how good he is as a shooter. Well, it's not just his accuracy as a three-point shooter. The other thing that stands out to me about Desmond Bain, it stood out for the past calendar year since he's been in the Grizzlies uniform. The thing that stands out about Desmond Bain on offense and what helps out his defense is not just that he shoots threes. But there is a trend with Desmond Bain on offense. When he's there, the Grizzlies typically have a significantly better chance of finding the right shot more consistently on offense when Bain's on the court versus when he's off. And I take that instinct and that intelligence that he shows on offense, and it's starting to show on defense. He's learning how to use his body. He's learning how to control his his overall activity. He's becoming much better at, you know, we, he's always been a good rebounder, but he's using his physicality to be able to make things uncomfortable for the offensive player. He's kind of bought into that Dylan Brooks mindset where you've got six pals to use. It's okay to use one of them, one or two of them, early to set your presence. And I think that he uses them effectively, but he's also done a very good job at being a bit of a pickpocket, at being someone who can intercept passes. The same intelligence that typically leads to excellent shot selection that's allowed for him to come a, become a more resourceful scorer on offense, that's the type of thing that he's now doing. It. You know he knows the game, but now he knows how to use his body effectively in an NBA setting. And I'm not saying that he's a 3 and D guy as of yet. 
But I am saying that he, as a one of the legitimate best young three-point shooters in the league, he's a far more resourceful scorer now than he was a year ago, and he's becoming at least to the point where he's not a liability on defense, and that is certainly a development with Jaw and Jaron as the top two players moving forward currently for your franchise. Desmond Bain is about a good, as good of a compliment as you can have to maximize those that duo's strengths while also minimizing their weaknesses. And you've got him on a 30th overall pick rookie scale contract for the next two years. It's just fantastic to think of how big of a home run they've hit with the Desmond Bain draft pick. And it's important to point out that our loyal listeners and Twitter followers agree with our assessment of Desmond Bain, our GBB Live question of the day. Of these four non-jaw options, who is the most improved player on the Grizzlies so far? Desmond Bain was number one with a bullet. Jaron Jackson Jr., D'Anthony Melton, and Dylan Brooks were the other choices. Jaron was our second leading vote getter, and that is who we're going to be talking about coming out of this break. Jaron Jackson Jr. really shined brightly, uh, arguably his best game as a member of the Memphis Grizzlies against Toronto on Tuesday night. What can be done to make sure that that level of production continues for Jaron Jackson Jr.? We'll talk about that next. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax, joined by my co-host, Parker Fleming, associate editor over at grizzlybearblues.com. And we are joined in on this episode by our wonderful guest, wonderful friend, colleague over at Grizzly Bear Blues. He hosts the Locked On Grizzlies podcast at Stats SAC on Twitter, Sean Coleman. And Sean, I'm going to bring you back in here first on this particular portion of what we're going to be talking about. I'm coming back full circle here in a moment to what I originally spoke of at the beginning of the show, but I want to make sure that I give a shout out to Jaron Jackson Jr. And I know you're a big fan of that gentleman as well in terms of what he's capable of on the defensive end, like we talked about with Bain and his growth there in the first segment. For Jaron, I want to focus on the opposite because his defensive potential was always something that was discussed when Jaron was taken all the way back to on draft night in 2018. That was always something that was a possibility, what he could be as a defender. But his offensive game was really what shone through and gave me the biggest idea of the potential that he possessed. And that hadn't really come back since his knee injury until recently. His ability to create off the dribble, to take advantage of mismatches on the perimeter, to finish at the lane and understand when he has a smaller defender on him, to use his seven-foot body and finish at the basket. And he's really starting to put all of those things together. So when you watch Jaron Jackson Jr., how excited are you for him? He's improving as a rebounder. He's improving in terms of not fouling when he's defending. He's not perfect yet. But that Scotty Barnes dunk that he attempted, that Jaron blocked, Matt Hardlick, a friend of the show, friend of GBB, did a great Patreon post about that exact play. I think that we're seeing, you know, when you have a 22-year-old unicorn, you take time with that guy and you're patient with him and allowing him to learn and grow and develop. I agree completely. And coming into this season, you know, I, the thing that I, I, you know, I mentioned it would take time. A couple of things about Jaron is that, my barometer of how he's doing this year is how frequently can he be a difference maker? We saw it at the first of the season once every five games. With every month as we go, one out of every five games, he's a difference maker. The next month, one out of every four. The next month, one out of every three. We're getting now to the point to where it seems like in each game, it's one half of each game that he's a difference maker. But on offense, I talked about it before the season, and I talked about it on yesterday's Locked on Grizzlies. 
my focus was him this year being able to combine the inside, the inside the arc presence that he did as a rookie with what he did as a sophomore from beyond the three. Because in the first 10 games of this season, more than half of Jaron's shots were from three, but they weren't falling. And so if his three wasn't falling and the majority of shots of his were from three, you basically had an all-or-nothing presence. He was a non-factor at times because he wasn't taking a lot of two-point shots and they weren't falling themselves. But over his past 10 games, 60% of his shots have been from two. He's been making nearly 53 to 57% of those two-point shots on a regular basis as well. The reason that's important is because it's adding balance to Jaron's game. He's learning how to be more than just a perimeter scorer. He's learning how to take people off the dribble, position himself down low, but also, in my opinion, give himself a base. Even if the three-point shots are not falling right now, last night they did, thankfully, but even if they're not, his ability and confidence to get into the lane and now make his two-point shots, it means that even if his threes aren't falling, he still is a present scoring. That's why you've seen him in six out of the last eight games score 15 or more points. So the overall balance, depth, and resourcefulness of him as a scorer has really come together over the past two to three weeks, and that's why we're starting to see more consistency from him being a difference maker on both ends of the court, night in and night out. It comes down to getting reps, right? I think that's so vitally important, whether it's defense, offense, just getting out there and being a consistent every other night or every couple of nights playing basketball at the NBA level, that holds value, of course. And Parker, I'll bring you back in here. Just the idea of Jaron Jackson Jr. being a part of this franchise moving forward, being that prototypical big man next to John Morant in the long run. When Jaron plays that way, he has the look of a guy that at worst could be the third best player on a championship team, maybe at best could be the second best guy. And the beauty of it is he is continuing to find ways to, as crazy as it sounds, get used to his body. We have to remember he's grown a couple of inches since he got drafted by the Memphis Grizzlies. He has physically changed in terms of his musculature, the way that he's built. He is like a baby giraffe in some ways that's still learning how to use his appendages. It's pretty remarkable that he has the ability to make the plays that he does. It stands out to me at times when he, I, I believe there was a pass that was thrown to him or a lob, and he just dropped it. The first thing that came to my mind was he's not used to his body being in that position given his new size or the way that his body has changed over these last couple of years. I see a young player that's only going to get better as he gets used to the skills with being within the frame that he now has to his advantage. Yeah, honestly, just watching some of the flashes from Jaron Jackson this year has been so much fun. Like, I think people are really kind of taking it for granted while just worrying about how often he shoots threes or his foul trouble or his rebounding numbers. But just some of the stuff that he does is so cool. Like there was that one play against Utah where he was making his way back down from the uh back down from the other end of the court. And I think it was Desmond Bain hit him with the pass and Jaron in stride just bodied and just waylaid Rudy Gobert out of the way for the easy layup. Like And then just his defense, especially in the clutch over guys like Jokic, Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gilbert, I think that, and also too, while being able to cover the guys like Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes, but I just think it shows, I think the biggest thing it shows is that Jaron Jackson Jr. can be the five of the future, and I think it could happen sooner rather than later. I don't know how much sooner because the Grizzlies are good with 
Jackson and Adams on the on the floor together, popular to or contrary to popular belief. But I just think that these flashes, especially how he's performed defensively and how he's looked against these traditional fives that everybody was worried about him having trouble against. I, I think it's very promising what he's showing this year. And like you said, he's only going to get better. I mean, everyone was worried about how he was performing within um, within uh, three uh, inside the three-point line, excuse me. But in November, he shot 45% from the field and 36 37% from three. He's going to be fine. And I think this stretch, mainly because of the way the offensive has run, I think he's going to be at his best. I think you can kind of see a similar situation to like, the the Donovan Mitchell Rudy Gobert dynamic where like Donovan Mitchell is acknowledged usually as the best player but Rudy Gobert is the most important and I think you could very well see that situation with Jaron Jackson Jr. whether he's the second or third best player where he ends up being the most important player on the team just because of what he provides defensively it's it's really fun to see it, it really is I think people should just kind of appreciate the flashes that he's showing right now and what he does well we're finishing up here on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. You just heard my co-host, associate editor over at grizzlybearblues.com, Parker Fleming. We're joined by our friend, uh, host of Locked On Grizzlies, writer for grizzlybearblues.com, Sean Coleman at Stats. SAC is where you can follow him, and I'm going to get you guys out of here on this. I told you we were going to come full circle. The two guys that we talked about tonight in particular, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., in my opinion, and please correct me if you think I'm off base saying this, their development was hampered, maybe not so much Jaron as much Desmond, this past year, by the presence of Grayson Allen and Jonas Valanciunas. And I think that where the disconnect for some fans comes from is the idea that you know you see Grayson Allen thrive in Milwaukee. You see him sign a new contract that you think is a good value. You don't acknowledge that Grayson Allen is making $5 million less over the life of that contract than DeAnthony Melton and Desmond Bain combined over the next two years are making. And then you look at Jonas Valanciunas having a career year and a career night for the New Orleans Pelicans and thriving as a player and stretching the floor. We all made fun of of a New Orleans fan saying maybe he'll be a floor stretcher. And he made seven threes in a row for the Pelicans. Maybe he can be that guy. Why isn't Jonas Valanciunas here? Why isn't Grayson Allen here? It's because they're not a part of the long-term vision of this team. Desmond Bain is. Jaron Jackson Jr. is. And I would argue, Parker, that you do not see the flashes of Jaron or the growth from Desmond in a larger role if those two guys, Jonas Valanciunas and Grayson Allen, are here. That's not a slight to them. They're good basketball players. But in the long view, shout out Parker Fleming. Shout out. You have Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. as pieces that need those minutes, that need those reps, that need those shots. Desmond Bain is not scoring at the rate that he is if Jonas Valanciunas is here. That's just the truth to me. I don't understand how you can't watch the team play the last two years and then think that Jonas Valanciunas is going to be cool with taking a backseat to Desmond Bain. It's not happening, in my opinion. And I think that that's where a lot of the frustration for fans comes from. They see guys like Grayson. They see guys like Jonas having success. And they think that they should be here in Memphis and the team would be better. I don't know that that is true because 
In the short term, maybe they win an extra game or two. In the long term, they weren't going to pay Grayson. They weren't going to pay Jonas. They got other guys they got to pay. And those pieces, Bain and Jaron, are the ones that most directly, in my opinion, benefit from Grayson and Jonas being gone, Parker. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for one, I want to shout out the Ringers' Kevin O'Connor for highlighting just how awesome Grayson Allen is. Quote, what makes Grayson Allen different? I love to see it. I about got sent to the moon. But I would, I'm going to go blast from the past here. And this is basically the Rudy Gay trade all over again. Because exactly. without, like, granted, is Tayshaun, was Tayshaun Prince better than Rudy Gay, even in Memphis? No. Tayshaun, he was a good player. He was a good defender. But the point of that trade was to give Mike Conley more responsibility, to give Mark Gasol more responsibility. They don't become all-star caliber players with Rudy Gay taking 15 to 20 shots a game. It just doesn't happen. So, and I think it's just so nuanced and kind of irresponsible to look at trades as a, well, we traded this player for this player, and the player that we traded away is better than this person, so the trade sucks. There's so many different angles to it, and the Grizzlies got a upside swing that they wanted, and they got themselves in a position to draft a more altering talent at the 10 spot than they would have at 17. And they added an extra pick. They now have three first-round draft picks that they can use in a trade. Like, it's just, it's fine. People, I, yes, notice Alan Tunes is better than Steven Adams. But I would rather be seeing what we are seeing right now from Desmond Bain than having to go through with touch, with 13 to 14 touches for Jaron Jackson Jr.'s front court partner, in my opinion. These minutes, these reps, these shots, they were needed for Bain and Jackson Jr. more than they were needed for Grayson and Jonas. Do you agree, Sean Coleman? Oh, yeah. That, and, and what Grayson and Jonas did here was phenomenal. But listen, it, it's a simple logic for a team that's focused on the future. Your likely cap as a team with, the, with how much Grayson and Jonas were featured was last year. It was a first-round exit. Both of them were coming into expiring contracts. You cash them out now. For future value. And the benefit is layered. Number one, you don't have to pay them $25 million in 22, 23, and 23, 24 each. You also have the ability to give their reps to Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr., who theoretically are going to be more impactful, t- impactful talents than Grayson or Jonas will be in the next evolution of this Grizzlies team. But another thing that I think is very important, beyond the cap fact flexibility that Parker mentioned, the extra pick, having three first-round picks next year, plus now having Zaire Williams with these extra reps that you're giving Bain and you're giving Jaron and pairing them with Jaw, you not only get to see their strengths, but you also get to see their weaknesses. And in this featured, more featured role that you likely wouldn't have got this year with Grayson and Jonas being on the team, this gives you a better idea of how to better position these assets. Is it more building depth through getting multiple picks over the next few years? Or is it potentially going to get a specific type of established player? 
with these assets to support Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. to minimize their weaknesses, but also maximize their strengths. That's the added benefit that you get from these extra reps and more featured roles for Bain and Jaron is with these assets you got for Jonas and Grayson, you can now use those to better model this team for the future, knowing that Bain and Jackson Jr., who both have thrived in bigger roles, knowing exactly what you want to fit with them to make the best for this team in the future. Sean Coleman, thank you, my friend, as always, for joining us. It is much appreciated. Folks will be able to check out your work at grizzlybearblues.com, of course, a new Locked On Grizzlies podcast almost every single day from the hardest-working guy in all of Grizzlies or one of the hardest. I have Parker on as well. You guys battle for that title almost every day, uh, but you're certainly one of the hardest-working. Sean, thank you so much. At StatsSHC on Twitter, we'll have you back on in the future, of course. Always a pleasure, guys. Thank you all. Absolutely. For Parker Fleming at Paca underscore Flocka. For Sean, I am Joe Mullinax, site manager of SB Nation's grizzlybearblues.com at Joe Mullinax on Twitter. Everything's going to be all right, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be beautiful. The sun's going to shine. Christmas is coming, and we're going to have a much better idea over these next few weeks because John Morant is out of just how good this young roster really is. For Sean, for Parker, I'm Joe. Grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is. Grizzly Bear Blues Live.